0: Pairs New York City headquarters. I'm Adam Teeter, and in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal and this is the Vine Pair podcast. And Zach, uh, you know, I'm actually in the office. Uh, we're still in the in the process of building um, a studio. I'm here super early in the morning. Thank you for waking
1: up at six a.m. Seattle time to record <laughs> this. By the way, I was going to say I am definitely not in any office. I am hiding out in my basement so that I don't wake up my son.
0: But uh, well, you know, there's the trials and tribulations of parenthood. But uh, we, um, uh-huh. you know. We're, we're, we're getting close. We're getting close. You know, we're going to, we're going to get a nice soundproof room in here. We're going to, it's, it's going to be great. And then, you know, no more comments, but I do want to say, uh, I, I do appreciate everyone who loves to send us their feedback. So everyone that, that listens to the podcast, thank you. We do appreciate it. And again, if I haven't, if you do not li- make it all the way to the end credits, every time it would be really amazing. If you would continue to rate this show and leave comments and reviews, especially on iTunes and Spotify, where it seems like actually we we ran the data yesterday. The majority of, of our listeners are listening to us so, uh, those definitely are the two most important platforms for you all to uh rate, review, etc. That would be awesome, um, so that more people discover the show. But before we jump into today's topic, Zach, uh, just wanted to to you know quickly you know see what you've been drinking or what you've been up to.
1: Well, you know, so I, I wanted to uh to give a report, uh, we, as you know, Adam, and, and our listeners don't know because thanks to the miracle of everything, oh, yeah, so uh, so. Uh, vine pair uh and and me i guess specifically in the case of the seattle competition. yes you were a judge <laughs> <laughs> yeah a judge and organizer in a lot of ways uh but keith and i and uh another seattle uh wine expert uh judged the uh the best Psalm competition uh i guess it was last week uh and i gotta say man it was really fun um I was really, really excited about uh, the competition. We had some really, really excellent sommeliers from Seattle uh, compete. And the format is just a lot of fun. Uh, and I won't I won't bore the listeners with too much uh, detail other than to say that um, I'm pretty sure that no... Well, maybe not no. I shouldn't say no. But I think it's unlikely that you would, in, say, a uh, sommelier exam through the Court of Master Sommeliers, uh, have someone say, you know, I don't want any, like, fucking clams. And uh, we got to say that that was fun so um <laughs> it was it was definitely it was fun it was uh, i think it threw a few of the Psalms off that it was a little less you know i don't know formal uh but still challenging and i think that's a cool that's a cool balance to strike
0: i have to say so like I, for those people who don't aren't aware of what this competition is we're doing it in uh, collaboration with the french ministry of agriculture um and a bunch of different uh, wine brands from uh from France, all. So, like, Sage Lapierre, Cote Mass, uh, you know, Legend, Trimbach, um, and a few others. And all of these, Jean-Luc Colombo, um, all of these brands sort of all came together to create this, this competition with us. And I think what makes it unique. And we've had, an, um, I mean, I, I would say, I don't know about in Seattle, I, I sat in on the New York one and everyone sort of f- felt like the Psalms that wound up winning uh, in New York are, are usually like some of the Psalms are the most highly respected in the city, which is great. So, um, mm-hmm. and I'd heard that from Seattle as well. But I think what we heard from Psalms that really makes this competition stand out isn't, you know, obviously there's a theory test and there's the blind tasting, but then it is what you're talking about. It's this one-on-one interaction. So basically what we've developed is we're trying to identify uh, Psalms who I don't want to say have great bedside manner, but I think by saying that term, you, the listeners understand what I mean. Um, are basically able to have a seamless and really comfortable, um, interaction with guests, right? So to make guests feel at ease. So basically, what we do is we have three other judges. Um, It's usually a highly respected psalm uh, in the city. So we've done New York, DC, and Seattle, then they will all compete in the finals on the 27th. Um, So the final judge, for example, is Andrea Morris, um, myself, and then Keith, our tastings director. Um, They sit in front of us, uh, and we basically pretend like we are wine- drinkers who know not a lot about wine. And we basically brought two bottles to their restaurant because it's corkage, you know, it's like reduced corkage fee night. Um, and then we asked them a lot about the wines. They have to basically immediately identify what the wines are just by looking at the wine, looking at the bottle, trying to, you know, gauge their knowledge on these wines, you know, in the first place, taste it, and then really make us feel at ease in the questions we ask. And I got to say, man, like, you know, we've had, we had some Psalms that are really good at it and you can see there are others that aren't as good at it. Um, but we we heard a lot of feedback, at least in New York. I'm curious if you had the same feedback in Seattle of a lot of the songs coming up to us being like, "We're really glad you're testing this because this is actually our job right yeah. like this is this is what we actually have to do every day, and this is actually being good at this is how we make money, and the restaurant makes money, and so exactly. it's one thing to be really good at theory right like scoring perfect a perfect score on a theory test is is great like that's awesome you learned a ton about the region and you've you've memorized it um but it's another thing to be able to react as you said to someone's like um i'm a vegan are these wines vegan or just asking you hey so like uh what wine would you tell me that this tastes like because this is a, a grape i've never heard of before or like so is sansere the grape or is serre you know what is sansere, right and being able to react to that, I I thought was super fun when I sat in with a lot of the Psalms and and heard how they really rolled with the questions. Um, I'm curious what you thought as well.
1: Yeah, so I think that was the, the really salient point for me was, you know, having participated in uh, the Court of Master Sommeliers exams and, and heard lots about some of the others, higher level ones, you know, you are 100% aware all along when you're the person who's being examined, that you're being examined by a group of Master Sommeliers, and they behave like Master Sommeliers, they ask questions befitting Master Sommeliers, and that's fine. It's a it's important to some extent, especially for those kind of examinations, that you be able to address very you know complicated or sometimes not but very technical knowledge based questions about the wine uh, that you might be serving or other things involving beverage service while you're performing you know a sort of a form of beverage service we weren't having the psalms pour anything we were just having them talk to us and we're having them talk to us like you said as as people who you know drink wine but are not necessarily you know they're not professionals they're not particularly knowledgeable necessarily and ask the kind of questions that yeah you know you do get asked kind of uh in the course of restaurant service and and more than anything else i think it's not even just the questions but it's the sort of like oh actually you know what i changed my mind i don't want that or actually you know what i'm you know i'm trying to cut red meat out of my diet you know the kind of things that absolutely happen and you have to as a as a sommelier or, or any kind of restaurant professional, you have to be able to sort of not be like, oh, shit, like, what are you talking? Like, you know, wait a second. That's not fair. You know, there's none of that. It's just you kind of have to roll with it. And we saw, I think you're right, you know, a real, a real interesting divide. You know, there were definitely people who whose comfort level was here is what I am recommending or here is my spiel kind of. And if you throw me off that, I it takes me a little while to kind of reorient. And there are the people who are like, you know what? great you you don't want anything that you know you don't you're you're gonna have a vegan meal well we'll find something for you and i might have to go you know i might have to go talk to my chef and that's a kind of a you know a hedge or whatever but like there there's just there's a a, you know an ability to kind of roll with those punches like i said that that is uh befits Excellent service professionals, and I agree uh, with the general consensus. It's it's cool that we were testing that.
0: Yeah, I, I think the one biggest piece of uh, you know feedback I saw when we when we did it here in New York this week, so it was this Monday, um, was so for those who now listen to the podcast, this you know we're recording this on Friday, guys. Don't 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 think this is coming out the night before. Anyways, um, but they uh, they basically said you know there were people that. Really, I got a lot of bonus points when they were able to admit they just didn't know, right? Yeah. So like, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm actually not familiar with this wine or I'm actually not familiar with this region, but here, let me taste it and tell you what I think it is. But I actually, I also don't know this. It was, and that was really amazing to, to find those people that were like, yeah, you know what? I don't have to be the expert, especially because they knew, even though the, the judges were playing that they didn't know. These were experts sitting in front of them, right, who knew a lot about these wines as well. And I thought that was really cool to see the people that were able to do that because that also is like a, a really good indicator of just a server who makes you feel comfortable, um, puts you at ease and ease. It's like, oh, you know what? Cool. They don't know either. Awesome. I feel a little bit more better that like – a little better that I, I'm not – also someone that is stupid when it comes to wine, you know, or not stupid. There's just so much in wine that it's so hard to know everything. And I really, I like that about some of the Psalms that, uh, that competed. So it was really cool. Um, but let's dive into today's topic because, uh, it's an interesting one and one that we've been talking more and more about, uh, as the years go on. And that is, dry January. Um, I think if you're, (laughs) if you're listening to the podcast, there's a, there's a good chance, uh, you are participating in dry January. Um, and so, you know, Zach, when you and I were talking about, uh, you know, things we wanted to discuss, one of the things that really came up about this topic is whether or not it actually is worthwhile in any form or fashion. And so what I mean by that is mindful drinking is very important. I want to, I want to talk, I want to, you know, throw that out at the very beginning here, right? Mindful drinking and drinking in moderation is incredibly important. But the question that we've been having is, is dry January the way to create mindful drinking habits or to impress upon the general drinking public that mindful drinking and drinking moderation is important. And what I mean by that is dry January has basically become a thing, you know, in the UK, here in the U S et cetera, for at least the last five years. Now, when the consumption reports came out uh, about a week ago, we have seen that the United States is up in consumption of alcohol, not down. So also what that proves is that this whole, you know, no alcohol movement doesn't seem to really have, be having the traction that I think a lot of us in the, pre- you know, maybe not VinePair as much as other press because we like to look at data a lot more than I think some of our other people we know out there do, uh, instead of just listening to trends of what their friends say. Um, but the data shows that no alk isn't having that, that much of an impact, right? Because consumption is up. And also the price of what people are willing to pay is up for those drinks, right? So both is higher than that we've seen in the United States, uh, you know, in, in recent decades, which is pretty interesting. Uh, also sort of, you know, you always see that happen as you enter an election year, but, um, you know, so drinking <laughs> is, so, so, so consumption is up and, and the price people are willing to pay for drinks is up, right? O- over the course of 2019. So the question that I have is then, so, you would think if Dry January was having an impact, we would see at least consumption sort of falter. But in my belief, actually, what Dry January is doing is it's just become another Movember or another you know month for people to try some sort of a gimmick and then learn nothing from that gimmick afterwards, right? So it's a challenge, right? It's just like ice bucket challenge, right? Are you willing to? I mean, unfortunately, though, it's not supporting a cause, which actually is a huge bummer. I wish the people who were doing Dry January would say, "Look, I'm not going to drink for 31 days, and I'm going to give you know." I'm gonna Every, every dollar I would have spent on drinks, I'm going to donate to charity. That would be really fucking cool. And then I could, I could get behind this thing. But instead, it's just like, how strong of a will do I have? Right. Like, can I just go without drinks for 31 days? And then by the way, on February 1st, I'm going to binge drink my face off, which also we see. But what really winds up happening with dry January is that it winds up not only creating any, you know, lasting consumption habits that are positive, but in my belief, it also, and we've seen this, Hurts restaurants and hurts bars, right? Because people don't go out because they can't handle the temptation of, of, of their quite possibly being a drink on the menu. Guess what, people? Like, that's just being an adult. Like, there's, if, if you can't handle saying no once in a while to a drink, then like, there's other issues that you should probably look into. And secondly, they, you know, they wind up or they wind up not going out at all or they or when they do go out they don't order anything off the menu right so and and as we know drinks are where the restaurants make their largest margin so it's it's something that i think all in all has done more harm then good. Um, but I'm curious what you think, Zach. And again, if you're a listener and, and you disagree with me, then come at me. But, uh, my belief really is that like we should be doing a lot of other things. And that's why I'd like to talk to you about Zach after you give me your opinion on dry January of what we could be doing to reinforce positive drinking behavior as opposed to this kind of
1: gimmick. Okay. So I. I think I mostly agree with you, and and here's what I'll say. To me, the idea of dry January, I I understand the appeal. I certainly understand the appeal for people who coming off of, you know, it's not coincidental that it's January, right? I mean, for one, for for people for a long time in, you know, in. This country, January has always been kind of this month of you know New Year's resolutions, and I'm going back to the gym, damn it, and you know oh maybe I'm getting my credit card bills from holiday spending, and I got to rein in my budget. So so all those things have always have kind of conspired together to create this sort of vibe. Plus, people drink a lot in December, frankly, um, and that I, I understand the appeal. I understand the sense of you know I don't want to drink, uh, or it's a thing I can cut out, and maybe for some people. Abstention is easier than moderation. I think that's unfortunate and sort of as, as I'll get to and and agree with you, largely less healthy than moderation. Uh, so, but I want to say I do understand the appeal and it's something I've done myself. So, so I'm going to say out, I'm going to say that too, that, that dry January. Um, and for me, sometimes even I would go two months uh, because I drink a lot for my job. And my line was always that I fit a year's worth of drinking into 10 months. Um, but I've actually come to realize that I, I think that mentality is, is dangerous and, and a little unhealthy. And, uh, and so I think to me, the, the, the things I would say are, one, there is something to the idea that if your only way to moderate drinking is to not do it at all, then I'm not sure you're really building healthy habits. I think it's much better to think about if you're if you're concerned whether it's a cost thing, whether it's a health thing, whether it's a who knows what thing, if you're concerned about your drinking, I think it's much better to practice moderation in two ways. Certainly the the simplest is just to say, I probably don't need to have more than one or two drinks most days. And if I'm gonna have more than that, it should be an occasional indulgence, not a everyday or five day a week kind of thing. And I think that's that kind of moderation is is actually, frankly, takes a hell of a lot more willpower than just not doing something. Um, and I think the other or the other option, and, and I, one that I know works for a lot of professionals, um, is to pick a day of the week that you just don't drink. And I mean, for a lot of people in my line of work, that's like Monday. Um, but it doesn't matter what day it is. Um, I think if, you know if you say to yourself, "Hey, look, just no matter what, you know, it doesn't matter what the invitation is, it doesn't matter what the event. This just one day of the week I'm not drinking." I think that kind of regular habit is better for you and and makes sort of thinking about and moderating your drinking a lot easier it's kind of like you know the, the thing the way i think about dry january these days is kind of like we would be really like dubious of someone who says hey you know what i'm gonna fit all of my gym sessions for the year into one month like i'm gonna go to the gym every single day for one month and then i'm not gonna work out the rest of the year or i'll work out i guess when i feel like it uh maybe once in a while and we would think like these people are like clearly like they do not understand health in some fundamental way and that's and that's kind of how i feel about dry january
0: i completely agree with you i think uh you know the, the other thing that that has been a pet peeve of mine is people who will say so uh, first of all I've noticed, uh, we don't just have dry January now. We also have a thing called Sobertober. I don't know if you are familiar with Sobertober I yet. i made it, but it's, it's spreading through the ranks as well. But I've been talking to some people who, who participate in these, you know, and to them, it feels like a challenge. But then I've asked them, which I think is crazy. Okay, cool. You smoke weed? Oh yeah, I totally smoke weed still. Okay. Well, then <laughs> yeah. how, how, how are you doing anything that's making you know clearing your mind at all if you still get high right so and and look some of these people are in places where it's legal now some of these people are in places where it's not but like that's also the thing is like you can't just replace one you know vice one drug with another right because alcohol at the end of the day is a drug you can't sit here and say okay well i don't drink for an entire month but then you know i smoke weed like then you're not getting any of the true benefits of being sober and just like letting your mind come back and potentially protect, you know, starting to practice mindfulness or whatever. So what I try to do is, yeah, I, I don't drink at least two days a week, uh, usually more, more likely it's three. And then at least two of the nights that I drink, I try not to have more than one or two drinks, right? So that then the nights that are usually wind up being, you know, either a Thursday and a Friday or a Friday and a Saturday, whatever, that I'm either with friends or at a dinner party, whatever, I don't feel as bad if I wind up having three or four drinks or, you know, splitting a bottle with someone, et cetera. Um, but again it it takes it takes discipline right you actually have to think about it. and in our industry i think there's a lot more opportunity for that to be in front of you at all times right like you know i'm looking sure. out of my office right now into the larger space of of the VinePair office and there's four industrial fridges out there that are all filled with beers uh that have been sent to us there's two huge uh shelving units that are filled with liquor right now and then there's you know i think we have 8 or 10 of these you know Wine racks, right? That are all in our that are in our, in our conference room, filled with wine. Um, and you know, and we have this take home shelf that we allow. You know, if if we've already reviewed a wine or whatever, and there's an extra that we encourage uh, employees to take home wine or beer, etc. That is a duplicate that that didn't get consumed, so that maybe they can consume it for a story, or they can learn more about the wine or the beer, or, you know, the spirit, etc. To make them just more aware of things in the universe. But so there there are those. I you know, temptations always. And I think you do have to say, okay, well, how can I, how can I recognize that those are temptations? And then say to myself, okay, so this is just one of those days that I'm not going to take advantage of those temptations. And I just don't think that dry January teaches you those things. I think it teaches you how to be really disciplined for a month. And then it, yeah, as you said, it's like, it's like your excuse. And I, I love the analogy of, you would never say to yourself, you know what, I'm just going to get it all out of here right now. And I'm going to go to the gym for a month. And I'm done for the year. Like you would never do that, right? Instead, I
1: mean, some people end up doing that,
0: but well, most, actually, actually, most people do. That's why, like, if you, I find that like going to the gym in January is the worst time to go to the gym. Like, just you know what? Like, wait till February, peeps will be done with it. Like, they're 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 bored with it, or like that. that this is the month to maybe go to yoga or to run outside. I know it's cold, but to do other things if, if, you know, exercise is your jam so that you, and it should be, um, so that you're not just like in the gym with everybody else. And, but you know, with exercise, we say, what is it like four to five times a week, you should actually be doing some, some sort of moderate exercise for at least 30 minutes. And I think, you know, you should think about as a drinker two to three times a week, not consuming or, you know, four to five times a week consuming less. Right. So that it's just, it becomes, Something that you practice, as opposed to this one month challenge, which is I really do think what Dry January has become.
1: Yeah, so I want to touch on the industry side of it in terms of its impact, um, because I think that's the other part of this conversation is you know how useful it is for people. You know, I think there's there's a certain amount of self deception and a certain amount of yeah, sort of uh, lack of of effect that that is unfortunate when people do this. But I think to talk about it from a restaurant perspective, I mean. It's always hard uh, for my for me because when someone's not when a table isn't drinking in January you know we don't know I can't ask hey are you you know are you participating in dry January you know why aren't you drinking you know we we just it's not it's not a thing that that unless someone volunteers that information I'm necessarily going to know but it's certainly the case that even uh even though in general in restaurants January is a slower month um uh, it's also a, an especially slow month for drinking and that is I'm I'm sure you know I don't know if that's accelerated since dry January became kind of a popularized thing. I think it probably has a little bit. But I will say that it it was interesting about it from a restaurant perspective, from my perspective, is that while it does a little bit hurt our bottom line in terms of you know we sell a little bit less wine, it is kind of like what you were talking about with the data that you've been seeing. I feel like in January, I sell a lot. When I sell wine, it's more often, high-end wine, and I think it, what it has to do with is, for one, if you're the kind of person who's largely oriented towards not drinking in January, but but maybe isn't going the full the full thirty days or uh, thirty-one days, or or isn't going the full you know is is willing to still have a drink every now and then, you're kind of more inclined to to when you're going to do it, really make it worth it. Um, and I think that if you're not one of those people. I don't know. Maybe there's sort of like a subtle fuck you to the, to the dry January crowd. that's like, you know what? I'm going to really like, I'm going to, you know, at least have an expensive bottle of wine. Maybe I'm not going to get shit faced, but, but I, it is weird. I, I have noticed that over the last couple of years is like, it, it's my sort of sales of our high end bottles don't really dip in January, even though the sales of like glass pour wine does. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Interesting.
0: I mean, look, I will say like I, I hear about it a lot too, and I know that for, I don't want to make light I think for a lot of people it does it is a problem but I will say like last weekend um I had you know my parents in town actually and we took them to restaurants on Friday and Saturday night and both nights both restaurants were absolutely slammed. So and I didn't see a lot of tables where people weren't didn't have drinks on the table, right? Like I I it wasn't like I was like oh man I totally noticed that I'm here at these restaurants and like restaurants that are known for their drinks as well and there's less drinks on tables than they're usually. Are. but look maybe maybe where it doesn't impact the restaurants in certain markets is like at the beginning of the week um mm-hmm. where maybe you know they normally would see people who would would have ordered drinks on like monday tuesday wednesday night uh throughout the rest of the year who now aren't as much i'd be interested if, if you know if you're someone who works in the trade listens to podcasts um show us an email at podcast at vinepair.com and let us know uh if you what what trends you see during this month because it, it is you know there's no there's no really one way to know we hear from people right and then if you look at data you can see um that some of the, the sales do dip not not huge but they do dip a few percentage points in January um but so I'm just curious for those about of those of you on the floor or in uh retail throughout the country like what you see happen during this month um because it's it's really interesting and I and again I think uh it's something that sort of came out of nowhere it, it didn't really I'd never heard of it until a few you know five or I would say five years ago um it wasn't something anyone did. And it seems like every year more and more people are, are trying to do it. But again, like I think they know when I ask people why they're doing it, no one seems to be able to tell me why. Right? It's like, oh, well, my friend does it or they did it last year and said it was like, it was cool to see how long they could go without having a drink or whatever. And no one seems to say to like, all I want to hear is someone say to me, I want to readjust my consumption practices and I want to more mindfully drink right that fine cool like if that's your answer to me then i'm more i will be more supportive than anyone else in you figuring out how to do that because i think it's important that we all do that but unfortunately like the answer i get more often than not is it seems like a fun challenge yeah and like then they wind up going back to drinking at the same rate that they drank
1: since then which for a lot of people isn't healthy yeah, and I want to put this out to people who maybe for whom math is a little bit of a struggle. But if you don't drink for one month out of the year, that means essentially, you know, you're drinking one twelfth uh, less than you would uh, in a normal year or whatever that is eight and a half percent. I'm, it's early in the morning; my math is not per- perhaps exactly correct. Whereas if you take one day a week, uh, one day a week off drinking, now you're drinking uh, one seventh as frequently. I don't know uh, one seventh or less. I don't know again. Early in the morning, math, you're drinking course, less actually hard. than if you, you are, only yeah. take a month off. Yes, <laughs> and, 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 and drinking and drinking one less day a week is, I think, both healthier and in general, and also like easier to integrate into your life. It's it's not. It's sometimes for a lot of people, and I understand this. It's hard to be like you know, especially if you are in the in, if you work in the industry or just you like to drink, and that's totally valid. And and Adam and I, you know, well, I think we both very much strongly support uh, mindful and moderate consumption, but we also obviously. Love to drink, and we love you know drinks, and so we're not out here trying to convince you that you shouldn't drink. Uh, we would not have a whole lot to do workwise if that was exactly, the case. Um, but especially me. Um, but uh, the um, but I think the the point is that if you if you want to pursue a sort of strategy that that does allow for a little bit of moderation and, and requires some amount of willpower it's not nothing to say no every week you know to a drink uh, if it if the opportunity presents itself and starting with one day a week even is a really good place to begin and you may work your way to where Adam is you know where you're, maybe there's two days or even three days a week where you don't drink and you're you're better able to integrate uh, sort of moderation into your life but but starting with one day a week I think is a really uh Not easy, but easier place to start. And it will, it will be with you, you know, year round as opposed to being, you know, one month of, okay, I'm going to grit my teeth and get through it. And then the second the clock, uh, the calendar flips to February, I, uh, I forget all about it and it's back to my sort of, you know, normal drinking levels. exactly well uh
0: has been a really interesting conversation as always again if anyone listening to the today's show um has any thoughts just again shoot us an email at podcastdivinepair.com let us know what you think um and if you love the show um or you have thoughts on it shoot them to us or please give us a rating review on apple spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts and zach i'll see you and everyone else right here again next week sounds great Thanks so much for listening to the VinePair Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please rate us or review us wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps people discover the show. Now for the credits. The VinePair Podcast is produced by myself and Zach Jabal and is engineered by Nick Patrie, who recorded out of Cloud Studios in Seattle, Washington, and also in our New York City headquarters. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair staff who help us conceive of the show every single week. Thanks again for listening.